Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Isn't it amazing how self-deceived we human beings can become? You know, somehow we just think that we're invincible. Somehow we think that we're going to get away with it. Somehow we think that, you know, that'll happen to somebody else, but it'll never happen to me. But, you know, that is such a foolish way to look at life. No one is exempt from that. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Isaiah chapters 3 through 6. Now here's Pastor Brian. Their prophecy is going to have an immediate fulfillment or a near fulfillment, and then it's going to have a distant fulfillment and maybe even a more distant fulfillment. And that's especially true with Isaiah and the destruction of Jerusalem because Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, but then Titus destroyed Jerusalem as well. And then part of the prophecy is about the destruction of Jerusalem yet future. So you have to sort of look at each one of the prophecies and see how they fit. Now, um, it certainly had a fulfillment, this destruction of the vineyard, it certainly had a fulfillment when Nebuchadnezzar came. But then it obviously had a fulfillment in Titus because Jesus applied the verse to Jerusalem at the time. But then you, we find that it will also have a future fulfillment because, and this is how we know, because when the, when the judgments are described and then the future restoration is described, the future restoration is a restoration that has not ever happened yet. And really, the context of it, it can't happen until the Lord comes back. Because it's things like this, you know, I'm just paraphrasing, but you know, something like, you know, the Lord's going to restore Israel. He's going to knit their hearts to his heart. They will never depart from him again. He's going to put their law in their minds, in their hearts. He's going to make a covenant with them. And, and you see, none of that has happened in history. That's all still yet to come. They went into captivity um, when the Babylonians came. They were in captivity for 70 years. They came back to the land. They came back to the land in somewhat of a repentant and, and righteous condition, but then it wasn't very long before they were back in sin again. And so you have the, the prophets like Zechariah and Haggai and Malachi who were writing after the captivity, and it, it's kind of like the same old problems resurfaced. So you know that the, the return from Babylon was not, the, was not the fulfillment of those promises, nor was it the return from the exile after the destruction by Titus. And that's exactly where we are today. So when Titus destroyed the city in 70 AD, the Jews were dispersed throughout the world for 2,000 years and only came back into the land in 1948. But today, they're still not in the land in a covenant relationship with God. They're in the land in rebellion against the Messiah still to this day. 
and they're in the land living in sin and idolatry and, and all of those things. And, you know, in Israel today, you can, if you're Jewish, you can be, you can be a Buddhist, you can be a Hindu, you could be New Age, you can even be an atheist, and it's okay. You fit right into Jewish society along with the, you know, the Reformed or the conservative or the Orthodox Jewish people. But the one thing you cannot be is a follower of Jesus. See, under all of those other things, you're still identified as a Jew. You're a Jewish atheist, but that's okay. There's a lot of Jewish atheists. You're a Jewish New Age person, that's, that's cool. There's a lot of those too. But don't talk about being a Jewish follower of Jesus because that's the cardinal sin in Israel to this very day. So the Israeli government, they love evangelicals. They love us to come and spend tour money and they, they love us to support the nation. But don't you dare try to tell a Jewish person that Jesus is the Messiah. That's when they don't like you. And that's when they will tell you, you know, hey, uh, we, don't, we don't want to hear any of that stuff. So they're, they're still in that place now. So there's a future restoration that will come where they will come back into the covenant. And that covenant will be with the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. But there's a judgment that will precede it as well. So that's what you see when you go through Isaiah. Sometimes a near fulfillment, sometimes the Babylonian captivity, sometimes even the Roman one probably foreshadowed but not detailed, but then ultimately the final um, judgment that will come. So in verse 8, Isaiah begins a series of woes that are being pronounced upon the people. And when God says, woe to those, that is really not good. The last thing you want to ever hear God say is, woe to you. Because that means trouble is coming. Big trouble is coming. And so Isaiah begins here in verse 8. Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room and you alone are left in the land. So woe to those who do what? Woe to those who basically take the land to themselves. Now in Israel, God, God has always spoken about Israel as his land. It's his land. It's not anybody's, it's not the Jewish people's land. It's his land. And he gave it to Abraham and to his seed. Paul clarifies that his seed is none other than the Messiah. But, you know, people have, um, all the way back to Isaiah's time and before, people try to take the land to themselves. And so in this day, rich people were buying up the land of Israel. They could buy land in the city, in the walled city. You could buy land and own it and keep it. But in the outside of the walled cities, you could not ever permanently own the land. You could own it for 50 years, the longest time, and then it was a jubilee, and the land was then set free. Why? Because the land belonged to the Lord. So in these days, rich people came along, and they started buying up the land. And when they bought up the land, what did they do? They kicked the poor out. And they put up these super amazing condos and these great hipster lofts and things, you know, like they do. 
<laughs> today going into the cities and gentrification and all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, gentrification, you guys know what that is, right? Where you go into an old dilapidated area and you take it and you make it super cool. And um, it's a common thing that happens in some of the major cities. Um, but, and, and on the one hand, it looks great. Like, wow, look, they came in and they really made this neighborhood nice and it's, it's wonderful now. It's so cool and it's safe. Um, but nobody takes into consideration the people that were kicked out, <laughs> the people that actually had to leave because they could no longer afford to live there. And they're poor people. And so from one perspective, gentrification looks great uh, if you're the, you know, if kind of like you're the rich person or you're able to pay to live in that community. But for those who are not able, they just see it as you know, just being driven further and further out into the poverty zone. And so that's really what he's talking about here. That's what was happening. And so he says, woe to those uh, who were doing that in those days. I heard the Lord of armies say, indeed, many houses will become desolate, grand and lovely ones without inhabitants. For a 10-acre vineyard will yield only six gallons of wine and 10 bushels of seed will yield only one bushel of grain. And so even though you build these great houses, uh, these grand and lovely inhabitants, God says it's all gonna just be desolate. Nobody's gonna live there when the judgment comes. And then verse 11, woe to those who rise early in the morning in pursuit of beer. <laughs> Some people have kind of been shocked that there's a translation of the Bible that says beer in it. Um, the older translations say um, strong drink. But in those days, they didn't, like today, if you're familiar with the alcohol world, you know, you would normally think of a of strong drink like whiskey. Um, but they didn't have whiskey in those days. And the, the word actually means like brewed barley, which is technically beer. And so that's what he's talking about. He's talking about people who are basically um, drunkards, but not, I, I think if you wanted to put a, a term that we could understand, they're functioning alcoholics. They're still doing business. They're still, still doing all of this stuff, but they're doing it under the influence of uh, alcohol. And so they rise up early in the morning in pursuit of beer. They linger into the evening inflamed by wine. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're party people. They're people that just, their whole life is about a party. You get up in the morning and get stoned and just go about it all day and party all night and stuff and then just do it again. I mean, this is the way people live. This is the way they lived then. It's the way people live now. It's the way some of us lived before we met the Lord. It's just kind of a, you know, I know before I was a Christian, I pretty much lived from party to party. You know, during the week, you had to go to work. That was the unfortunate thing. <laughs> but you had to have some money to party on the weekend, right? So, but that's what, we, that's what we lived for. We lived for Friday night and Saturday night. And maybe Sunday night, but then, of course, you had to go to work on Monday, so you had to be careful on Sunday night. But uh, so in the world, this is just the way it still goes on. 
That's the way it was then. But God says, woe to those who do that. And so he goes on, therefore my people will go into exile because they lack knowledge. And then he just goes on and he lists um, all the way down to verse 17, the, the judgment and thing that will uh, ensue as a result of this. But look at verse 18. Woe to those who drag iniquity with cords of deceit and pull sin along with cart ropes. To those who say, let him hurry up and do his work quickly so that we can see it. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel take place so that we can know it. So what is he talking about here? Those who drag iniquity with cords of deceit and pull sin along with cart ropes. Just picture in your mind a cart and it's loaded down and people are pulling it along. The idea here is that this is, there's nothing unintentional about that. Nobody just unintentionally pulls a, a cart along by the ropes. You know, this is, this is all thought out. This is strategized. This is what we're doing. And, and this is what he's talking about. He's talking about people who are practiced at sin. People who strategize to sin. People who got a plan. And we're going to roll out our sinful plan. That's what he's describing. And they say... While they're doing it, well, if there's a God, why doesn't he do something about the way I live if he doesn't like it? You know, if there's a God, why doesn't he just strike me dead right now if he's such a great God? Now, people today say that. Guess what? People have been saying that for thousands of years. Nothing's changed. The people are just the same. But what does God say? Woe. Woe to those. You know, isn't it amazing how self-deceived we human beings can become? You know, somehow we just think that we're invincible. Somehow we think that we're going to get away with it. Somehow we think that, you know, that'll happen to somebody else, but it'll never happen to me. Um, but, you know, that, that is such a foolish way to look at life. No one is exempt from death. It doesn't matter who you are where you're at in life, you're, you're in the prime of your life, you're on the top of the world, and suddenly your life is over. And that's the reality for every single human being. But how many of us think of it? But that's reality. And yet my point is that how human beings have this unbelievable ability to self-deceive. And to think that we're somehow immune, that that won't happen to us. But of course, it will. And so just as these people just said, well, you know, hey, let him hurry up and do his work quickly so that we can see it. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel take place. You know, if God's going to do something, let us see it. Well, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who consider themselves wise and judge themselves clever. Boy, notice the connection there. Those who judge themselves wise and consider themselves clever, they're the ones who call evil good and good evil. 
And they think that anyone who thinks that certain things are evil, they think it's just because of absolute stupidity on the part of those people. Those who would, you know, look at certain things and say that, no, that's wrong. Today, you're just laughed at. You're made a mockery of. Because obviously, all the smart people, all the clever people, all the really important people, they know. And anybody who doesn't agree with their perspective or their view, then they're just written off as completely insignificant. And, you know, there's a number of things in society, right, that fit perfectly into this. You know, I can't believe how the abortion thing, that's been an issue for decades, right? And there's, there's been the debates and there's been, you know, all of the controversy and so forth and the pro-life and the pro-choice. And, you know, that's been around for a long time, but it's kind of come to a level now that's, it's just, I mean, I just never conceived that it could come to this level where people just flat out say, yeah, we're killing babies and we don't care. And so this callousness, this hardness, this, you know, this whole attitude, and you think of, you know, some of the ladies that have come out and just said, you know, yeah, I killed my baby and I'm proud of it. My, you know, being pregnant was going to hold me back from my career. I had a promising career ahead of me. I can't have some kid holding me back. That would be bad. And then when somebody says, man, that is so wrong, people say, oh, that's evil. How evil that you would tell this person that they don't have the right to do with their life what they want to do. So everything's just flipped on its head. And that's just one example, right? There's many that we could give, but what's the point? I mean, we all agree, right? (laughs) So, but the truth of the matter is there's a woe pronounced to those who call good evil and substitute darkness for light. And, you know, this is the thing, that their judgment, it it takes a long time. And let me remind you again, here in Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying these woes, but there's there's still a lot of years before this is gonna be fulfilled. But it will certainly be fulfilled. And that's something that, we, we need to know as Christians. We cannot, and speaking collectively, you know, as a nation or as a civilization, you can only sin so much before the consequences of that start to catch up with you. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But then, uh, woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine, who are champions at pouring beer who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of justice. Therefore, as a tongue of fire consumes straw and as the, grass, as the dry grass shrivels in the flame, so their roots will become like something rotten and their blossoms will blow away like dust. For they have rejected the instruction of the Lord of armies and they have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Verse 25, therefore the Lord's anger burned against his people. And so the remainder of the chapter is, again, talking about the judgment that's going to come because of that. Now, so the sixth chapter is 
is a key point here in the book of Isaiah. And so Isaiah says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated high and on his throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, the question that Bible commentators have is, so has Isaiah prophesied these first five chapters and then this event happens? Or is it that he's just going to go back and describe the event that brought him into the prophetic ministry, even though it chronologically it's not in the order it happened before the prophetic ministry. Nobody really knows the answer to the question, and it's not all that important anyway. The point is, Isaiah is telling us about his call into ministry and what took place. So it was in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, as I said, Uzziah was probably the greatest king as far as bringing the nation into a place of prosperity. His reign was the longest reign next to the reign of Manasseh. Now, Manasseh was the most wicked king of Judah, but Manasseh's reign was interrupted because he was carted off and put in chains in Assyria, and there he repented and came back and you know, still lived out part of his reign. So Uzziah came to the throne at 16 years old, and he reigned till he was 68, 52 years. And his reign was extremely prosperous. And it even says in Chronicles about him, and maybe you remember this, and this is a, a verse that always has stuck in my mind, that Uzziah was the one who was greatly helped by the Lord until he became strong, until he became strong. He sought the Lord. The Lord blessed him. The Lord prospered him. Then in his strength, he rebelled against the Lord. And Uzziah was the one who attempted to go. Maybe you remember the story. He attempted to go into the temple and offer a sacrifice as a priest. And that was strictly forbidden And the priests themselves had to resist him and push him back. And remember, God struck him with leprosy because of that transgression. So this is is the guy, Uzziah. So his reign, this 52-year reign, has brought incredible peace and prosperity to Israel. Uzziah, probably next to Solomon... Uzziah was the greatest king as far as just advancing the the kingdom itself. So Solomon had that great, great reign until he stumbled. But then Uzziah comes along many years later, but he now has a, a like a similar kind of a reign to Solomon in the sense of its prosperity and expansion and all of these things. So he's well known all throughout the nations. He's this great king, but it's significant. In the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord.
the month of July, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Is Jesus History? by Dr. John Dixon. How do we know that Jesus was in fact a historical person? Can we really know anything about ancient history with certainty? In his book, Is Jesus History? Historian John Dixon answers those very questions. He presents the evidence for the historical existence of Jesus in a clear manner, so the reader can make their own conclusions based upon the evidence. Dr. John Dixon addresses the conclusions of mainstream scholars, both Christian and non-Christian. He also examines the contemporary significance of Jesus' claims if someone concludes that he did in fact exist. If you want to know about the historical evidence for the existence of Jesus, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order is Jesus History by Dr. John Dixon. And when you give the gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.